0: with Ross Greenwood. This is Business Now.
1: Hi, and welcome to Business Now. Thanks for your company, I'm Ross Greenwood. Coming up on the program today, former Reserve Bank Deputy Governor Guy DeBell is the latest shock resignation from Andrew Forrest's Fortescue Group of Companies Also, the Reserve Bank of New Zealand keeps the brakes full on its economy with another three-quarters of a percent rate hike today. And in the wake of the chief executive resignation from shopping centre giant vicinity centres amid sexual harassment allegations, there's a greater legal onus coming for boards to call out poor executive behaviour. So all of that and more coming up on today's program. Other stories we think you should know about today include the OECD says the world is in the grip of the worst energy crisis since the mid-1970s, which will slow economic growth and push some countries into recession.
2: Global growth uh, is slowing down, uh, continues to slow down, and confidence uh, has weakened. Uh, Inflation has become broad-based and persistent, and in response, uh, central banks have been... Rising policy rates and global financial conditions have tightened significantly.
1: The agency warns that even worse is ahead, putting pressure on central banks to
2: keep raising interest rates. Risks remain tilted to the downside. Economic activity may turn out even weaker if energy prices rise further or if energy disruptions affect gas and electricity markets in Europe and Asia. Uh, rising global interest rates are increasing the cost of borrowing, uh, putting many households, firms, and governments under increased pressure. Russia's war against Ukraine has also worsened the conditions for low income countries. But that report
1: is at odds with what Australia's largest airline, Qantas, is now experiencing. Despite skyrocketing fuel prices and seat prices, the airline is literally flying. Its shares soared today as it said underlying pre-tax profit will be $150 million more than its guidance just seven weeks ago. The airline says consumers are putting a higher priority on travel ahead of other forms of spending. It says the cost and constraints of international travel is also driving more demand into the domestic airline. Do remember what the OECD said. At some stage, interest rate hikes and price increases will catch up with the consumer's wallet. The big question for all consumer-facing businesses, including Qantas, is when? Just nine months ago, Guy DeBell shocked the corporate world by resigning as Deputy Governor of the Reserve Bank to join Andrew Forrest as Chief Financial Officer of Fortescue Future Industries. Today, DeBell made another shock as he resigned from Fortescue for health reasons. A statement says in August, DeBell was involved in a serious cycling accident. In that statement, DeBell said, sadly, I am not in a position to give this role everything I know it deserves Right now, it's the latest in a string of high-profile exits from Fortescue's various operations. This includes the former NAB chief customer officer, Andrew Hagger, who stood down as CEO of Forrest's private equity business, Tatarang, just a month ago. Also, the former chief executive of Fortescue Metals, Elizabeth Gaines, who resigned in December last year and has not yet been replaced. And the head of People, Linda O'Farrell, quit last week. The Australian reported just three of 11 of the executive leadership team in 2021's annual report remain with the company today. But, look, let's get across today's market moves with business reporter Edward Boyd. Ed, I mentioned the Qantas shares took off today. How did they finish up?
3: They were one of the top... Actually, they were the top performer today, Ross, on the local market. You can see its shares lifted about 5.5% today after that profit upgrade, or 5.3% after that upgrade. And over the past 12 months, Qantas shares have really bounced around quite a bit. They're up about 45%, though, since July this year, when things started looking a bit better for the airline. The local market, it jumped about 0.8% this morning, then lost a bit of value in the afternoon, Um, utilities, energy and the industrial sectors were the strongest while tech stocks slid and the ASX 200 finished the day down 0.7%. Other top performers today included Whitehaven Coal, which is getting close to the $10 mark again. Its record high is just under $11. Data analytics company Nuix, that jumped, which was pretty strange because there was no announcement from them. And agribusiness New Farm jumped as well. And remember, its strong profit results were about a week ago. So it finished up 3.5%. Turning to the worst performers and synthetic skin company Polynovo tanked today after it completed a $30 million institutional placement. That valued its shares at $1.90, so its share price dropped to pretty close to that level. Uh, Casino operator The Star kept falling after the AGM yesterday, where it said trading at its Sydney casino had been impacted by compliance changes and competition with Crown. And logistics software company Wisetech, that closed lower too after Chief Executive Richard White said uh, trading in the new financial year was meeting expectations, not exceeding expectations, which is what investors were hoping for. Uh, Ross, that's today's market update. Yeah,
1: thanks so much, Ed. Interesting to see it all out there. Well, the Reserve Bank Governor, Philip Lowe, warned the government that its push to create higher wages for working families could backfire against the economy and the RBA's efforts to control inflation. The RBA Governor spoke at a cedar event in Hobart last night. The uh, issue that many central banks have been worried about, and i include us on this, is that this period of high inflation leads w- the workforce to say, well... Inflation's high, I need full compensation for that. And let's say we all accepted the idea, which there's a natural appeal to this. Inflation's seven percent, I should be compensated for that in my wages. If that were to happen, what do you think inflation would be next year? Seven per cent plus or minus. And then we've well, got to get compensated for that? Seven percent seven and this is what happened in the seventies and eighties, and as I talked about, that turned out to be a disaster. But that view brought a sharp rebuke from former Labor leader and Government Services Minister Bill Shorten on ABC Radio National today.
4: You can't get blood out of a stone. Real people are hurting without some wages movement. These wages changes aren't going to lead to double-digit wages inflation. Like, it's just rubbish. That's not what's happening. So a lot of these debates are theoretical. If wages move too far too fast, that's not desirable but wages not moving at all is a disaster.
1: Now, on the subject of central banks and interest rates, the Reserve Bank of New Zealand didn't shy away from its fight against inflation by raising its cash rate by another three-quarters of a percent today. It takes the cash rate in New Zealand to four and a quarter percent, compared with the RBA's cash rate of 2.85. New Zealand correspondent Jess Maggio reports from Wellington, where the RBNZ is based.
0: Well, the rate rise has certainly lived up to predictions and expectations from economists and banks here in New Zealand. Delivering its ninth consecutive rate rise, the Reserve Bank of New Zealand has announced the final cash rate of the year at 4.25%, up 75 basis points. It is the biggest hike since the RBNZ introduced the OCR in 1999 and takes the benchmark to its highest level since 2008. Economists were aware the country's central bank would continue lifting the cash rate until it felt confident there would be enough restraint to bring inflation down. The Reserve Bank has said repeatedly it wants people to prioritise spending.
1: Core consumer price inflation remains too high. Employment is beyond its maximum sustainable level and near-term inflation expectations have risen.
2: So this is quite a heightened inflation environment.
0: Inflation in New Zealand is at 7.2%. It dropped slightly last month, and it's just shy of the 7.6% record in June 1960. The current inflation rate is a 32-year high. The Reserve Bank wants to bring inflation back down to between 1% and 3%, but that's not expected to be achieved until 2024. Australia is doing a little better than New Zealand. Its official cash rate is sitting at 2.85%. It's been going up 25 basis points for the past two months and 50 basis points four months prior. New Zealand's cash rate has been aggressive since it started lifting rates in October. The aggressive cash rate rise is not expected to slow until mid-2023 when the Reserve Bank of New Zealand predicts it could reach 5.5%, a significant amount higher than the estimated 4% this time last year. That will bring New Zealand into recession, but a necessary evil, the Reserve Bank says, in order to bring inflation back down.
1: With all that, let's now go to HSBC's Chief Economist in Australia and New Zealand, Paul Bloxham himself, a former Reserve Bank Economist. Um, can I just say, let's go to the New Zealand story, because it's significant. A 5.5% cash rate in the middle of next year and a recession basically there as well. So does that really give a glimpse as to
4: what Australia might face also? Well, this is the point. I guess you can link it back to the wages story as well that you've already run, that, uh, you know, the problem the RBNZ's got at the moment is inflation is too high, uh, but also inflation expectations are high, the labour market's very tight, and wages growth has picked up too much. It's embedding itself in the wage-setting process in New Zealand. In fact, in fairness, it's probably embedded itself somewhat already, and that's why the RBNZ is feeling compelled to have to deliver these supersized hikes uh, is saying that the cash rate probably has to go quite a lot higher yet and is saying that that will probably deliver a recession in New Zealand in order to get the inflation out of the system. So, look, is it, is it something we should expect here? I don't think that's what's likely here, but a lot of that has to do with the fact that the pick-up in wages growth that's been happening here so far has been quite gradual. You know, the last labour price, price index or wage price index print we saw was running at 3.1%. The ones in New Zealand are running in the sort of high threes and the bigger measures... Other measures are running in sixes and sevens.
1: So is that why you sense... That Philip Lowe last night made those statements about wages, about the expectations, that he gave that lesson, if you like, that if everybody demands 7% wages this year, guess what inflation is going to be next year? Well, and if people demand again next year, guess what it'll
4: be the following year? That's exactly right. Uh, the RBA's got, and, and the RBNZ, they've both got mandates. The mandate for the RBA, let's stick to the RBA for the moment, is, is to keep inflation, get inflation back to 2 to 3% at this point in time. And they know that in order to do that, they've got to keep wages growth from picking up too much. Actually, they want it to lift, right? If you think about the pre-pandemic period, it was stuck in t- at a 2% wage growth rate. And what the RBA had been saying repeatedly through that period is they need wages growth to lift to 3 to 4% to be consistent with their inflation target. What they don't want, though, is it to lift to 5%, five, 6%, five, six, six, 7 so yeah. And if it gets there then they're going to have to lift interest rates even more aggressively, like we've seen in New Zealand, and they are probably then going to have to deliver a, a bigger economic downturn. OK,
1: or right. so that being said, why would it be, what's the justification for the RBA raising rates by a quarter of a percent when you can see that the RBNZ is going by three-quarters of a percent? They're going so aggressively
4: so fast, and the RBA here quite clearly looks modest in comparison. Well, I think it's the, this is the major difference, right? The major difference is wages growth is... New Zealand has had higher inflation for longer. Right, New, Inflation picked up earlier in New Zealand. It has embedded itself more quickly in wage, in wage setting, and wages growth is running too high for the, the inflation target in, in New Zealand. So they have to lift interest rates to slow the economy down even more, as they say, probably to deliver a recession, to get the unemployment rate to rise, to get wages growth to come down. Here, wages growth has picked up more slowly, partly because of the enterprise bargaining system, partly because inflation arrived later here, um, but as long as it only picks up slowly, the RBA can afford to slow down a bit. And that's what they've done. They've, they've assumed they can slow down at this stage. So,
1: that argument, because right now industrial relations is in our parliament, it's being debated. At some stage, there's going to be a new form of industrial relations policy come out. But what you're saying there, if the aim of our industrial relations pol- policy is to somehow moderate wages so they don't take off and create the inflation, which creates the higher, higher interest rates and
4: potentially a recession. It's doing its job quite well at the moment Well, everybody's employed that's right we need wages growth again I you know reiterate we, we need them to pick up like the I think the RBA even the RBA has been saying that as well well they need to pick up from rates of two percent to three to four percent and four three or four percent would be consistent with their inflation target but if they start running at the rates of inflation that we've got at the moment and that becomes embedded the RBA has to lift interest rates even more and we may have a sharper cycle a bigger rise in interest rates a bigger fall in house prices a bigger decline in the economy and it looks you know unfortunately as though New Zealand has not avoided that. that I was, was going to Zealand...
1: say, so they all talk about the narrow narrow path that they're on right now, mm. and obviously that implies that if they make a misstep, they're into recession. Where does Australia and New
4: Zealand stand on that path right now? Well, I think New Zealand is at the point where they cannot just focus on that narrow pathway. They, they have to focus on getting inflation down. They've fallen off the it, haven't they? They've fallen off the path. They've fallen off the narrow pathway. Well, they've diverged off the narrow pathway, whereas... I think there's still a chance that the RBA can stay on that narrow pathway. The other thing that's going to help them out, both of the central banks, actually, to a degree, I think there is a disinflationary force coming from abroad. You know, shipping costs are down, manufactured goods prices are down, US CPI are surprising to the downside, I think, and there's a global downturn coming through next year too. I think that's going to help both of these central banks out, but I think the RBNZ can see, you know, it's, it's got a much, much bigger risk at the moment of a wage price spike.
1: OK, so backtrack to what we said earlier about Qantas that it's seeing right now record profits. They're seeing sales coming through the door. The business is flying. You've got retail sales, record levels for the past nine months in Australia. Now, that says consumers aren't feeling these price increases, that they're continuing to consume.
4: Well, there's a couple of things going on. I mean, one one of the things that's affecting the travel industry in particular is people haven't travelled for a while, so, you know, a couple of years. And so they're actually, you know, there's a sort of pent-up demand that's flowing through for that particular service. I think that's a factor. But I, and that story sort of carries out beyond just travel, you know, to things like theatre tickets and sporting tickets and going to restaurants but and But aren't all these rate and rises and
1: price hikes? They're a brick wall out in the future somewhere that consumers and businesses are going to
4: smack straight into. Well, this is it. So the RBA needs to keep lifting interest rates until they've convinced the consumer to slow down. And that's, that's what they're going to do. Uh, what they've convinced themselves of at the moment, though, is that they've moved really fast, they've delivered a lot of tightening, we haven't seen the full effect of it yet. When it gets here, when we do get the full effect, we will get that slowdown in the consumer and that that will mean that inflation can, can come down. The other thing is the RBA is very used to having a flexible inflation target. They'll be comfortable as long as inflation is heading back towards their target fast enough, whereas the RBNZ, I think, really wants to get inflation down a bit faster than that.
1: Yeah, Paul Bloxham, thank you so much for your time. Just before we go, we'll show very quickly the Australian dollar versus the New Zealand dollar today as this all took place. I think we got the chart there. And we can actually show that really, as soon as it happened, there was a big, big fall in the Australian dollar, big rise in the New Zealand dollar. That's because their interest rates are higher than what they are. Here in Australia. Paul Bloxham, many thanks for your time. Thank you. There you go, Paul Bloxham there. Well, coming up after the break, the CEO, the sexual harassment allegations, and the impending legal onus on boards to call out poor behaviour. A troubled young woman, her evil
0: parents.
2: We never had any issues between us.
0: Has justice been done? Uh, I'm in a prison. Join journalist Richard Gilliatt as he delves into one of Australia's most gripping cases. Shadow of Doubt, a new podcast investigation from The Australian. I cannot find one of these allegations that's possible. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Thanks for your company here on Business Now. Yesterday, we reported on a story, first reported in the Financial Review, about the $8 billion shopping centre company, Vicinity Centres, and a complaint of sexual harassment against its former chief executive, Grant Kelly, who resigned and left the company after a first and final warning. Kelly now rejects claims that the complaints were a factor in his resignation and denies the allegations. But Business Now understands that there were four complaints upheld against him by a board appointed independent investigator. The matter also highlights the way that the law and community expectations are changing. It puts greater onus on companies and their boards to call out poor behaviour from senior executives. Joining us, Professor Catherine Lumby from Sydney University, who also consults privately to companies and not-for-profits about gender diversity and ethics, including in the past the National Rugby League and Google. Catherine, many thanks for your time today leaving aside what's taking place here at vicinity centres, although it's important, quite clearly there is that onus and increasingly that will be a legal onus on boards as I understand it.
5: Look, Ross, great, you know, question because, look, I've been thinking about this. Like 1984, the Sex Discrimination Act was passed. I was still doing law at Sydney University at that time, you know, and... We thought, women thought, smart women and all women thought that they'd be protected, but they're not. And in 2018, you know, uh, Kate Jenkins led an inquiry. 2022, this year, there's going to be a bill passed, hopefully, next year. But women are still in the workplace being harassed. It... It's terrible. It's wrong. It's wrong, and it all comes down to behaviour.
1: And one of the interesting parts about this is the ability for for people to call out that behaviour. Now, in this particular situation, the head of corporate affairs has come out and publicly said that she is the complainant um, and really has been very brave to do so, but then could pretty much give up potentially future career opportunities as a result of doing this. It shouldn't come to that, really, should it? She's very
5: courageous, Ross. Can I say because what happens, and it's been seen time and time again, is women who call this behaviour out are then seen as toxic or problematic, and it, and they and also organisations ask them to sign non-disclosure agreements. Well, that's not okay. I would like to see NDAs go because it's a way of companies silencing people. So she's a very brave woman. And in this particular situation, one of the
1: other aspects of this is the boards themselves, uh, when this chief executive left, he went out with very glowing reports from the board at that time, notwithstanding the fact that there was still the investigation underway. Now, I'd suspect that if that investigation had concluded, maybe the, the glowing um, sort of, if you like, testimony to that chief executive might not have been quite the same. This is also, again, one of the big issues if boards do not confront this head-on.
5: And, look, it's a governance issue. You know, we get a lot of, um, I mean, I gather, and I may be wrong, but the man involved was part of the champions of change thing. You know, personally, without trying to be too cynical, there are a lot of men who pin white ribbons to their chest and say, oh, I'm all for, you know, women's equality. I'd like to see them walk the walk, not talk talk the talk. And I think that boards need to step up. And you know what, Russ? We know that with the 300 top ASX-listed boards, 61% of people on those boards are women. Will you tell me that that is merit-based appointment? I don't think so. So then we come to another aspect of this, because there are women
1: on boards And the problem of this also is the legal obligations, because quite clearly they're told, don't say anything about this because there could be legal ramifications. That has to be called out also, so that really the behaviour can be called out because you won't get a change in the behaviour until you really get people talking about that behaviour and, indeed, the real reasons as to why many people ultimately leave boards or companies.
5: And, and look, the thing is, Russ, we live in a very gendered society. It's not a lack of talented, intelligent, educated women. We have a structural system we need to change. But um, placing a positive duty on organisations to really look from the board level down to whatever's happening in the organisation is very important. We, we need to stay on this. And I'm actually more concerned for when it comes to sexual harassment for the young women, woman working at the Baker's Delight or wherever. You know, where, where are they being looked after?
1: And that is absolutely the bottom
5: line of all of this because,
1: let's be honest, every company these days wants to attract the best and the brightest regardless of whether they're men or women. Catherine Lumby, great to talk to you. We'll do it again very shortly. Many thanks for your time today. Always a privilege, Russ. So that is it for today's program. Business Now returns tomorrow at 4.30 and 11.30pm. And don't forget, you can find all the latest business and finance news right here on Sky News and via our website, skynews.com.au. Thanks for your company today. We'll see you tomorrow.
2: My name is Manny Karoudis, and I'm a former New South Wales policeman turned investigative reporter with a passion for missing persons cases. I'm here to quickly tell you about our True Crime Australia podcast, The Missing. In this series, I look at old missing persons cases which have all gone cold in an attempt to try and uncover new information which could help see these missing people reunited with their loved ones or any form of clue that could bring these families closure. The Missing is available now wherever you get your podcasts and early and ad-free on CrimeX Plus on Apple Podcasts.